You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. everyone and welcome to a Deeper Waters podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And today, well, I mean, we, we got Halloween coming up here. I usually like to do a show that's Halloween themed. <laughs> I was thinking of doing something themed on the Reformation, but we had to push that back. I'll tell you, I've got right now, I've been going through Jerry Walls and Kenneth Collins' book on the, Resur- on the Reformation, and we are working on a debate between them and a Catholic and an Eastern Orthodox. So we've got all the uh, participants arranged. We're working on time probably sometime in December, so you all can mark that as coming for a 500th anniversary of the Reformation. But... Now we're going to be talking about something that we could say is kind of Halloween-related. I mean, Halloween is a time where we have all the kids going out and getting candy and trick-or-treats. I got five pieces of candy. I got a chocolate bar. I got a quarter. I got a rock. And we think about spooky stuff like ghosts and ghouls and witches. And for the most part, many of us know that there was a lot of fantasy out there and such, but there are some people who take the idea of being a witch very, very seriously. We're not talking about your classic fantasy here. This is real stuff. Real stuff. We're doing, trying to get in touch with real powers. Real powers. And it's a movement that's really popular, I understand, among the young people. Don Vaynock, when he was on, told me just how popular... It is, and I really had no idea it was that popular because <laughs> years of Facebook debates and things like that, I think I could count the number of people I've met who practice this on one hand. But when I was telling my wife about it, she said, oh yeah, when I was in high school and she's about 10 years younger than I am, it was pretty popular. And that view is Wicca. Well, what is Wicca? That's a good question. And to bring it on, I have someone who Don recommended who has done extensive work on Wicca. His name is Bill Hansberger. He and his wife, Terry, live in Aurora, Colorado and have eight children. Bill has been working with and around cults for over 25 years. For the past 20 years, he has worked for Haven Ministries under the auspices of the Conservative Baptist Home Mission Society for the first nine years. A ministry that focuses on evangelizing people in cults, the new spirituality, and other non-Christian religions. Haven Ministry also works on educating the church as to the issues raised by non-Christian religions. Bill has a bachelor's degree from Western Bible College in pastoral theology, a master of arts degree in systematic theology from Denver Seminary, 
numerous hours in graduate study in philosophy and history at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and the University of Colorado-Boulder, and was ABD at the University of Denver. He is now in the process of completing his PhD at the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. He has also taught as an adjunct professor at several Christian schools and for a local community college. He speaks at colleges and churches around the country and has had numerous television, radio, and newspaper interviews. He is also on the National Board for Evangelical Ministries to New Religions, EMNR, a network of counter-culture project ministries from around the country. So, Bill, welcome to Deeper Waters Podcast. Well, welcome to you too, Nick. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Now, if my audience doesn't know much about you or what you do, tell us a bit about how you got to be doing what you're doing. Well, I blame the Lord, actually. <laughs> I was a youth pastor and very content, but I always had an interest in talking to people in different cults. Mm-hmm. And it just was something that, you know, I would go do. I was not raised a Christian, so the kind of questions that people had, I understand them because that was me as well. But for whatever reason, after I became a Christian, I started talking to Mormons and I started talking to Hare Krishna. I started talking to Moonies, uh, the church, the family, the, the children of God. I, I kept running into all these people while I was at work in different places. And um, I wanted to know how to talk to them. How do I share the gospel with these people? And just kept growing and growing. And then about... 1990, I was appointed as a missionary with the Conservative Baptist to be their missionary to the New Age. And I did that for nine years. But we found that um, over the course of that nine years, we're getting tons of calls from groups that aren't New Age. That, in fact, um, well, we ended up talking to all sorts of bizarre little groups nobody's ever heard of. We talked to uh, Muslims and we talked to Hindus and Buddhists. We talked to Sikhs and Jains and Zoroastrians and atheists. We were talking to everybody. So Haven is an independent mission, and our staff um, talks to everybody in sight you know, on college campuses, at all sorts of different New Age fairs, uh, Mormon events, Buddhist events, Muslim things. We'll go to all these groups and, and share the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the Lord's called us to do for most of my life now. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. But what got you interested in Wicca? Well, uh, like most people in America, my age group anyways, I'm, well, significantly older than you. Mm -hmm. I grew up on uh, Bewitched and uh, The Wizard of Oz and all these things. And, you know, Halloween was just a big joke and it was just a fun time. Who could possibly take this stuff seriously? And that's exactly the attitude I had after I'd become a Christian. I never met anybody that called themselves a witch. I didn't think it was serious at all. And then in 1993, I attended something called the Parliament of World Religions in Chicago. It was the 100-year anniversary of the first parliament in 1893. And that's actually where I met Don Vino, in fact. And all of a sudden, I'm running into all these people who are not just uh, into witchcraft. They're serious. They really believe this stuff. And I'm running into goddess worshipers, which were serious about it, neo-pagans. And I got to listen to Phyllis Corolla from the Covenant of the Goddess, one of the bigger umbrella groups. And... And uh, all sorts of other people, Don Frew, who's real big in witchcraft, and all these other things. And I'm like, whoa, what the heck? And I was a philosophy student at CU Boulder at the time. And I came back and wrote a reaction paper, not just to the parliament itself, which was incredibly bizarre in all sorts of fun ways, but 10,000 academics, scholars, the Dalai Lama, Cardinal Bernardin of Chicago. I mean, there's all these important people there. And I also wrote a paper about the witchcraft that I ran into and that people really take this stuff seriously. So I wrote a paper that has made a lot of people mad sometimes called Why Not Burn Witches? Mm -hmm. And that grew out of my conversations that I actually had with the witches there that I met at the parliament and then subsequent 
I would kind of, if there's, uh, we go to a psychic fair, and a lot of times the witches, especially back 20 years ago, we used to have, they, have, they would have booths, you know, they're, where they're telling people about their faith, they're evangelizing, as it were. And I would seek them out and say, hey, let's talk, you know, what's going on here? And so, you know, part of it's on actual research from reading their books, another part of it is the conversations I have with these folks over the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, actually the next obvious question to ask people could be wondering, what is Wicca exactly? Okay, well, this is where you'll, you'll get in the fight. Okay. If you read them, if you read Jerry Gardner, you read um, Sanders or some of the older writers from 70 or 80 years ago, you'll get one version of If you talk to young people today, you'll probably get a different version of it. And it's like herding cats. There's no official voice. So if there's one thing you want to say, it's a loosely affiliated, and I emphasize loosely as much as I can, it's a loosely affiliated network of individuals and groups and covens and all sorts of other things of people who basically would say that, and I'll describe it the way one Wiccan said it to me, that we are a pre-Christian nature religion. And when the church came, this is his word for word quote, when the church came along and stomped us out, we went underground. But now that the church is departing, it's his language, uh, we're coming back out. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the first witches I ever spent some quality time talking to. And really interesting conversation to get his perspective on things. Virtually all, all the witches I talked to for the longest time were former Southern Baptists. Why that is, I have no idea. I tease my Southern Baptist friends about it. But for the most part, Wicca believes that there are there's no supernatural. All these, um, what you might have called supernatural from the Christian category, are all natural. In other words, there are forces in this earth and surrounding this earth. Some of them are pantheistic in that they believe everything is God. Some of the witches are panentheistic and they believe that God, the force, the energy field, whatever, is in all things. And now they just believe there's spirits out there. Some are into the Gaia, the idea that Mother Earth itself is a goddess. And you can attune yourself through rituals and spells to get what you want. So that's a big part of this that I've seen. It's very pragmatically driven. Um, you to do these spells, you do these rituals with the goal of, of becoming uh, famous, getting more money, getting prettier, getting the, the, you know, the man or woman of your dreams. Most of the stuff I've seen is very pragmatic that way. But somehow through the spells and rituals, you line up with these forces, these energies that are surrounding us. And through doing that, that will get you your what you desire. Mm-hmm. When I pour up something about this interview coming up, I didn't know when my friends shared a story, and I'm not going to get all the details, right, I'm sure, but I'm going to get the gist of it at least. And that's that apparently back in the 80s, he went on a double date with meeting these girls of a friend of his, and they went somewhere, and one of them gave him a drink, and he said it tasted awful as he was drinking it. Didn't know what it was, and he was home for the next day or so of a big stomach ache and such. And I'm sure you can guess exactly where this story is going. As it turns out, he had been given a love potion, but instead of giving him love, it only gave him indigestion. <laughs> yeah, well, then they used the wrong spell. Don't worry, they'll try again. Mm-hmm. Well, there wasn't another attempt from what I gather, but that, that's the kind of stuff we're talking about, isn't it? Yes. Uh, you were mentioning the interest in young people. I ran into to a book about 20 years ago and it was on the internet I, I mean I've been talking to witches for five or six years some of the best known witches in the country I've attended their seminars I've never heard of this book it's called Teen Witch and I went down to a youth group in Durango, 
Colorado. It's a tiny little church, you know, not exactly the center of the world uh, media-wise. And all these kids were telling me about this book they found online, Teen Witch. And so, of course, I go to grab the thing. Silver Ravenwolf is the author of this. And this book sold hundreds of thousands of copies. I was just in shock. I'd never even heard of the book. Mm-hmm. And it's all about how to get the boyfriend you want, the girlfriend you want, how to get better grades. I mean, it's so pragmatically driven. And if you follow these spells and these rituals, and they have formulas there, this is the ritual for a love potion. This is the ritual, you know, to get out of a bad home. Um, if you follow these rituals, these things will come true. So again, the, 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 one of the driving selling points for a lot of cults, but witchcraft is, is very much this way, is that you'll get what you want. It's about fulfilling your desires. And some of them plump, plump, you know, come, come out and say that. It's all about getting what you desire. Mm-hmm. And when you were talking also about how it was a, how it's kind of seen like a pre-Christian movement, part of me was saying that might not be such a bad thing. Because I was thinking about the time that C.S. Lewis said he was told by someone that England was descending into paganism. And C.S. Lewis said, if only it would, because if you're a pagan, you're at least pre-Christian. You're just one step away from being a Christian. If you're an atheist, you got a few more steps to take. But the, pre- the pagan world is all set and ripe for the Christian message. Yeah, I would I would probably quibble with I mean C.S. Lewis is writing in the heyday of the atheists, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And philosophy post Nietzsche, Marx, Darwin, Freud, all the great atheists of the eighteen hundreds and early nineteen hundreds. I mean atheism rules the academic world that C.S. Lewis was a big part of. My contention, you know, I, I when I was a new Christian, you started hearing Jerry Falwell talk about secular humanism, all this stuff, and I'm like, that's not what I'm running into at all. Mm-hmm. Most of even the people who call themselves atheists, even some of these uh, so-called new atheists, are not atheists at all. They're pagan. They're already pagan. And I, I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis himself. The, the fallback uh, de facto position for Christianity is not nothing. It's not atheism. It, in fact, is paganism. So he, paganism is, I think, the, the normal way of thinking. And the only connection that you can make, again, a lot of them try to make these ancient connections. Many of them have given up because it's so historically um, silly to be nice to it. It's it's just historically untenable. Uh, is the fact that my, much like ancient many ancient cultures, if almost all of them were in fact polytheistic or pantheistic or panentheistic or some version of something like that, mm-hmm. in the sense that they worship nature. We have a god of the frog and a god of the tree and a god of the fish and so on. Um, so that is a very much a parallel. So paganism has been around forever. Uh, like I said, I think the number of actual atheists, I mean, you read Sam Harris, for example, a very famous new atheist. Yeah. And a PhD, smart guy, but you read his stuff and he's into, he's into Buddhism. He mm-hmm. may not want to admit it, but it's a fact. My own brother, who calls himself an atheist, started talking to me about this whole thing. And he's like, you know, but I do believe there's a consciousness. Like, and I guess it's in the grass and everywhere. And I go, dude, you're, in, you're a pagan. Just admit it. You know, you're basically a Buddhist. Come on, get out, get over this notion that you can't, you know, that you won't say you're religious of any sort. Of course he is. Yeah. And that's true for a lot of people. I honestly think about, I mean, it might seem like a small thing, but when I hear about, you hear about some tragedy on the radio or news and you say, we are sending you our thoughts and prayers. And I mean, okay, I can understand the prayer part because you're trying to get in touch with, you know, a deity you think exists. I mean, it's just like, I mean, we're believers in Jesus, so we are really getting in touch with him. But if you're a Muslim, you try to get in touch with Allah or whatever and such, for whatever belief you have. But 
I don't understand sending your thoughts as if that can somehow change things. Well, scholars in world religion talk about, and this is a very generic uh, breakdown of a lot of pagan religions. They have three main components that are common, sacred sex, sacred dance, sacred death. And the idea of sacred sex is that you have sex with the temple prostitutes or in Wiccan circles, just you go sky clad and you have sex with anything in sight in order to create nature's blessing, mm-hmm. in order to make sure the fish come back in the river, or the corn grows. That's the ancient mindset. But it's really not that much different uh, than the way people think today. So when they talk about sending thoughts out, you're not communicating with the person for the most part. Most of these groups don't have a personal God. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they talk to the goddess who is embodied in nature. Mm-hmm. Or they'll talk to Pan, the horned uh, little character that's, you know, in ancient Homer and other places like this. Um, they'll talk to these gods as if they're a personal god. But you find out there's not one god, you know, there's not certainly not, you know, the, the lord of the universe as depicted in the Bible or something like that. And again, it's such a wide range of things. That's why it's like herding cats. It's very hard to say all witches believe X. It just is almost, it's almost impossible. It's not impossible, but it's almost impossible. And the question is like, who are they praying to? Who are they talking to? Well, it might be the goddess. It might be Gaia, who's not a goddess, but just an energy field that doesn't hear you, but it resonates with your vibrations and your good intentions. I've read about everything you can think of as far as possibilities of what they themselves say about themselves. So it's hard to put them all in one place on that kind of thing. You know, my wife and I both were on the spectrum having Asperger's and such. And huh? one of the sayings we have for being on the spectrum is, when you meet one person with autism, you've met one person with autism because while there are similarities that can take place across the board, everyone's vastly different. And now I'm thinking it could be changed. Like when you meet one person in Wicca, you've met one person in Wicca. <laughs> Let me illustrate that for you. And by the way, thank you for sharing that with me. I have an autistic son and we first got into this. He's 31 now, but he when he was first diagnosed when he was two or three, somewhere in there. And we were told there's these 50 things that, you know, these 50 characteristics that mark an autistic person or Asperger's or something like this. And if you have 20 of them, you're considered autistic. And I'm like, but somebody else has a 20 and they behave completely different, but they're both called by the same name. It made no sense to me. But uh, I, I appreciate you saying that, that whole thing because it's very true. So when I went to the parliament, I went to a session by Phyllis Carroll. She's one of the best known um, voices out there. She's on the good morning america and the view and this is 25 years ago she's you know writing articles for usa today she's an attorney she's very attractive she kind of fits the the modern witch they don't want to be associated although some groups do with the hag or this nasty old witch that we grew up on disney cartoons right right so anyways phyllis is talking about this and then they had to move the the meeting to two different rooms because so many people were interested in this so i'm on the floor and I'm a big guy, so I don't like sitting on the floor. It hurts my knees. But anyways, I'm on the floor with several hundred people in this room. And Phyllis goes, look, for me, and I'm just going to slightly paraphrase, for me, Wicca means X, Y, Z. But I can't speak for anybody else. And then the person to her, I think it was her left, said, yeah, well, to me, Wicca means X, Y, Z, but I can't speak for anyone else. And it went all the way around the room. I guess it took almost a half hour of the seminar time for them to articulate how individually driven this is. Mm-hmm. So you may meet two witches, one's a Gardnerian, one's a Sandarian, one doesn't care about any of them. One's in a teen witch or whatever's out there today. 
And that's exactly the point. They are so individually driven. Again, there are commonalities, but um, there's just a lot of differences. Mm-hmm. My wife was also saying something else when she found out about this interview I was doing. I told her who I was interviewing. She said, that's very surprising because although Wicca was started by a man, I'm surprised you're interviewing a man on it because usually most people involved seem to be women and women seem to know the most about it. Uh, well, that's a good point. Most of the witches that I've seen and been around when I've been in witchcraft meetings are women. Yeah. Um, and, and goddess worshipers is even more. There's a goddess festival we'll be going to witness to here in about a month mm-hmm. that we've gone to every every year. It's called the Athena Festival. And I would guess 90% of the people there are women. Uh, and again, most of them would be former Christians. So one of the major complaints that Phyllis Corral brought up that's in a lot of books and is in a lot of conversations is that, that those evil male religions, i.e. Judaism, Christianity, Islam, were all very bad for women. And in the goddess movement, in the Wicca movement, neo-pagan, why women are not only accepted, but often in leadership. So that's, a, that's one of their sales pitches to women. And, you know, I would guess, uh, and we have some women on our staff that are just wonderful, because for some of these people that we go to talk to, goddess worshipers and others, they won't even look at me. They despise the ground I walk on. I re- represent all that's evil. I'm a white male Christian. And that's You're part of every- the patriarchy. Oh, gosh, yes, I'm just the thing to be hated. Mm-hmm. And so it's so awesome to have women on our staff because my point is not that I have to do everything. My point is we want to share the gospel with everybody. So here I've got some women who don't fit all of those things, although they're Christian, and can speak to these people. They can at least get a conversation going. Now, do I have conversations with witches? Yes, I do. And with women and with men. But I know there's just some of the people in this movement that have been really hurt by men. And I understand that. I used to be a policeman. My own mother was molested by her dad and, and so many other. I'm just surrounded by people that have been hurt. Nobody's going to jail, so it really ticks me off. But I understand the pain that a lot of these people have. And so they basically argue that because there's a male God imaged by these religions and by the cultures, that somehow justifies rape. Of course, it's exactly the opposite, especially in Jewish and Christian circles. It's exactly the opposite. You love your wife. You don't abuse your children, you know. But that's their their lack of knowledge of what true belief in, in the Bible is, and they're hurt. And so, like I said, well, I understand if they think the male God justifies abuse of women, well, then, heck, yeah, why would you be a Christian mm-hmm. or, you know, a Jew or something like this? Yeah. And like I said, it's false premises, and it actually undermines their very complaint that they were hurt. Um, we can get into that later when we talk about wicked ethics. Mm-hmm. But that's one of the points I bring up on why not burn witches, that they're— they're very real hurts, and their claims to hurt, like 9 million witches were killed in the Middle Ages and this kind of nonsense, yeah. actually are undermined by their own belief about the relativity, morality, and stuff like this. Yeah. You know, I, I find it oh, about how Christianity leads to such horrible treatment of wives by husbands and such. And no doubt, unfortunately, a lot of husbands have done that. I mean, I tell husbands, like, if you are... Treating your wife right, you're never going to need to quote Ephesians 5 to her about submission <laughs> once at all. Right. And, and uh, I, you haven't seen much of me posting on Facebook, but I don't post on Sundays. But every other day of the week, I post a marriage meme, some picture about marriage. And then I post a love message to my wife, bragging awesome. her about something. And I have a men's group for men who are Christian and who are dating, engaged, marrying, or just hoping to date and marry to help us learn how to be better husbands and such. 
And there was even, I think, if you're on my wall or you're on my wife's wall, I think there was an unwritten rule that everyone knows, and that's you can disagree with Allie all you want to, but if you dare insult her on there, you'd better sit back because her husband watches everything that happens and he will come after you and he will not hold back whatsoever. And I don't. Well, you know, I was reading an article before you contacted me today mm-hmm. on the Pathios website. It was all about this woman who was raised in a Bible college, or Bible church, went to Bible college, later gets raped, somehow gets convinced that the best thing to do to that is to marry the jerk. Wow. And so she tells this horrible story of the abuse she has faced, both physical, sexual, and, and um, emotional. Mm-hmm. And at the end, she says, well, people tell me, you know, if they just, if the people, both sides of the marriage just believed in God, none of this would happen, but it happened to me. And I'm like, no, you're missing the point here. All right. Do people hurt each other? Oh, yeah. That's why we're all called sinners. It's a terrible thing. To me, you have to be the greatest coward in the world to hit a woman. I, I just have no use for men who do this. I was a cop. I was around a lot of you know people who did that, raped their children, raped their wives, beat oh, people gosh. up, raped women in general. And I, I, you know, I'm of a mindset bury them all, but <laughs> charge of the universe, so I don't get to pull that off. However, the Bible's really clear. I asked. To, I was when I was a deputy sheriff. I had this um, very secular Jewish lady I used to work with, and she's a great lady, and I enjoy talking to her. I grew up in a very secular Jewish neighborhood in Los Angeles. So I was used to people like her. Her name was Betsy. And we got to talking one day, and she's telling me how evil Christianity is, how it subjects women, and how horrible it is. And I just looked, and I said, let me ask you something. This is 1982. So the Soviet Union had not collapsed yet, right? Uh And I said, so let me tell you, since the Christian world, the former Judeo-Christian world, is so bad to women, where would you choose to prefer to live? Would you like to live in a Buddhist culture or a Muslim culture? or a communist culture, because they're so good with women, you know, tongue deeply in cheek. Mm-hmm. And she thinks about it for a minute and says, okay, I see what you're saying. I said, hey, look, we don't treat women the way we're supposed to. I'm not saying that the, the, the culture does, but compared to the Muslim world, oh, it's not even, it's not even comparison. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, communism always claims to be about equality. When's the last time you saw a, a, a woman communist dictator ever? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't happen. Not in China, not in Russia, not in Venezuela, not in any of these places do you see women running the show, as it were. So all these claims are just fairy tales. Um, anyways, yeah, it's um, it's critical that we understand that a lot of these people have run from the church because they were beaten or terrible things happened to them. I, I remember when the emergent church came out and part of the strategy was, <clears throat> well, we're going to get people into the church by making the church more comfortable and everything. I said, dude. Some of the people I'm talking to are running from the church. If I had to sell the church, I'd be the most useless missionary on the planet. I'm going to talk about Jesus and what Jesus has done for you. Because if I had to sell the church, forget it. There's so many terrible examples. So for the longest time, I always said that, you know, the (laughs) the church is the manure in America, at least, is the manure of the New Age movement. It made it grow and it made it spread. And witchcraft and, and goddess worship neo pagans are all basically part of that larger New Age movement. Yeah. But bad Christianity is what has made this thing take off. Um, you know, and those are sins that the churches, um, well, I'd love to say repented of, but they really haven't. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and again, I'm speaking very broad strokes, obviously, but 
there's reasons why a lot of these people have left the church. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, something we have to address. So let me give you an example of one witch I talked to. She was raised old school Amish in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Lancaster County, you know, really strict. And there's a whole discussion within the evangelical community. These people are Christians anyways. But I asked her, I said, so what did it mean for you to be a Christian being raised in the Amish community? She said, I had to have my hair parted right down the middle. And my little uh, bonnet that I wore, the, the laces had to be exactly even across my shoulders. She says, but when I was 16, I would part my hair a quarter inch to the, to the side just to show them. <laughs> and I started laughing. I said, no wonder you left. It has nothing to do with Christianity. But that was her cultural context for it. Mm-hmm. She thought that's what Christianity was about, that type of thinking. I doubt she'd ever read the New Testament or read any part of what Jesus said. Mm-hmm. And it certainly was not what Jesus did. So that's what I'm often running into is this very poor understanding of the Christian church that they left. I've met young people as young as 12 who get on the internet. Um, gosh, this one girl I, I ran into at a little tiny Baptist church in Iowa many years ago, and she'd gotten on the internet. She was also on the Awana program, which if you're familiar with a lot of Bible churches, Awana is a very popular uh, program for young kids and shares the Bible with them and everything. She'd also been baptized. We're going to be doing a show about Awana sometime in the future. Right? Okay. Someone come on that wants to come and give statistics and such. Okay. Well, it's, it's a good program as far as I'm concerned, yeah. but it has limitations like everything else. But anyway, she was a part of the Awana program in her church. She'd just been baptized, and she was also a practicing witch mm. at 12 years old. Wow. How did she get that? Through the internet. Mm-hmm. And there's there's uh, Witchbox and other websites out there that have children's versions, and all these kids want to go to Hogwarts, you know, because the Harry Potter stuff. And they they don't the line between fantasy and reality for a lot of people has been just melted down. There is no line anymore. It's all the same thing. So there are you know a major selling pitch for this is you get what you want. You just have to know the right spell. You have to know the right incantation, the right ritual to pull this off. Mm-hmm. And says lustful human beings, that's part of our fallenness, so get what we want. And in some cases, it's, it's not even always you know, bad lust. I mean, if you're getting abused by your home, by people in your home or something like that, to get out of that home is not a bad desire in my mind. Right. But, uh, you know, the answer is not prayer. It's not seeking Christian counsel. It's not, you know, going to a Christian shelter or something like this. The answer is, I'm going to do these spells and somehow that's going to transform. I'll give you another example. I was talking to a witch, at a, uh, I was actually speaking on the New Age movement up at a college, a community college in Portland, probably about 20 years ago now. And uh, while I'm giving this seminar, which is supposed to be 45 minutes long, this whole group of about 10 people come in, led by this guy named Steve. And Steve's a former Baptist, of course, and he's going to show me what an idiot I am in front of all of his, you know, his friends in front of the audience. So my 45-minute presentation turned into about a two-hour debate. So I asked him, why did you become a witch? What was the attractive thing? He says, I get what I want. I said, really? So tell me like that. He says, well, I do these spells and I get more money. Okay. So you could get a job and get more extra, you know, even work two jobs or get a raise and get more money, right? That's not necessarily supernatural. And he goes, well, uh, yeah, okay, but we can heal people. I said, really? We got a whole swath of the Christian church that say they can heal people. Why don't you go downtown, downtown Portland and go to the children's hospital and go to the ICU unit where all those babies are, t- you know, test tubes 
Uh, I mean, they're, they're hooked up to wires, and, and, and it's just a horrible thing. So, uh, mm-hmm. We did that with our son when he was very young. He had to have skull surgery. That's a whole terrible story. But um, you go down there and start healing those babies, and I won't criticize witchcraft again. And then he goes, oh, they have to want to be healed. And I said, oh, yeah, we got people like you in our camps, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Benny Hinn types, you know. Yeah. Um, they're just fake. I said, I, I told him, I said, Steve, I don't know when you're going to figure this out. Two minutes from now, two years from now. But at some point, you're going to realize that something bad's going to happen. And you're going to get your buddies together. You're going to do all your spells and all your rituals. You're going to realize you can't change a pimple on your nose. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was funny. Uh, Steve did not appreciate that. <laughs> he got really mad and started yelling at me. Um, and I just said in front of him, hey, look, you know, you don't, you don't have the power. But there is a God who can change things. There's a real God. Mm-hmm. and he can show mercy and he can show grace and he can heal people too. And so that conversation, like I said, finally the janitor kicked us out because we were way over our time. But I told him in front of his group, I said, Steve, you know, supposedly I'm the closed-minded fundamentalist Christian that won't, you know, that's intolerant, hates everybody. I said, but I will talk to you anytime, anywhere about any question you have on your mind. And you can call me, and here's my information. You can email me. You know, there was no texting back then, but you can do all this stuff. He goes, I don't want to talk to you. And I said, really, Steve, that's interesting, because you guys are supposedly the open-minded, tolerant, accepting ones, whereas we are, of course, the closed-minded, you know, mean-spirited fundamentalists. And you could see him, when I said that, all his people were looking at him like, yeah, aren't we the tolerant ones? And he <laughs> says, okay, I'll write you. So I wrote it, and he never wrote me back. Yeah, I'm not and surprised. And that story's over. You know, I believe... I'm a big fan of the sovereignty of God. and You know, he got to hear the gospel. He got to hear some challenges to his own worldview. And I believe God uses those things. So I don't know what's happened to Steve. I hope and pray for him to this day that uh, he knows the Father now, and he's one of his children. So we'll go from there. But like I said, I've had a lot of conversations with him. You get, you know, just like all other collections of people, you get different attitudes. Um, we had some great talks with Donald Frew at the 93 one. He's very big on Wicca and law enforcement. Um, we had some interesting talks with him because Wicca is very relativistic about morality. We probably should spend some time on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is no ultimate good or evil. So how do you work in law enforcement and not have a belief? Well, that was naive of me 24 years ago because now you have so many young cops, and I know quite a few, who themselves have been raised in this culture that's pretty much abandoned morality to their personal preference. So how does that person become a policeman? How do you, you know, throw your life on the possible on the line for a drug that may be legal tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you even do that as a policeman aspect? Because if you don't believe there's moral absolutes, like don't rape or don't murder, then what the heck is law enforcement all about? Just, you know, somebody's privileges or preferences at this moment, which may change with the wind or change tomorrow. Well, that's one of the real problems with Wicca. It's all really about your desires. Well, what does that mean? Well, one thing they do say, and it's important to them, is the Wiccan read, which says, and it harm none, do what you will. And they put it in King James English for whatever reason. That sounds more profound if you say, do what thou wilt. But, and they claim that's an ancient statement from, you know, ancient pagan religions. There's no evidence of that. The closest thing we know of is that was something that was important to Aleister Crowley, the famous Satanist, pagan, you know, bizarro guy from 100 mm-hmm. years ago. And Gerald Gardner was really fascinated with Crowley. That's one of the, the connections there, as was uh, uh, Ron Hubbard, the Scientologist. They both really were fascinated with, with Aleister Crowley. But anyways, this Ann and Harm Nun, um, I teach philosophy at the, the local schools. And 
one of the things about utilitarianism, the basic principle of utility is the greatest amount of happiness or pleasure for the greatest amount of people. Well, one of the problems with that is how do you define happiness? So imagine, Nick, if you went out and did a survey at a mall and asked 100 people, you know, what, what is happiness? You might get a whole lot of different answers. Uh, some people might say, well, I love beating my wife, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes me happy. You end up with, like, if you're familiar with the Little, House, Little Shop of Horrors movie many years ago, Steve Martin, the dentist who loves to hurt people. That's what makes him happy. Mm-hmm. And Bill Murray comes in as a customer. He loves to be hurt. That's what makes him happy. So that's one of the major complaints about utility is that happiness can't be defined in any meaningful way in that, in that framework of thought. Well, harm is the same thing. How do you define harm? Because people justify virtually everything. We're rationalistic creatures. I mean, we're rationalizing creatures. I think that's very profoundly, sadly true about us as human beings. So when you say, well, you know, she was in a bad marriage. That's why I had to, you know, cheat on her husband and take her that woman away from her. So in that case, adultery, a terrible sin, is now justified because, after all, I, I didn't harm her. I helped her out of a bad marriage. And I'll give you another terrible example. The Rwanda massacre of 23 years ago, some of the trials that have gone on, you know, even recently. And there's this one woman who's kind of infamous in the whole story. And she talked about how she went into a burned out, bombed out church where all these children were hiding. And she chopped them to bits with machetes, she and other people. Mm -hmm. And her defense was, I didn't want them to suffer. They would be orphans. So let me get this right. You were trying to do the good and right thing by chopping them up with machetes. Welcome to fallen humanity, Nick. I mean, Mm. when you want to try to define harm, good luck. People get around it all the time. And the ancient pagans really knew that. That's why sacred death, human sacrifice, was a part of real pagan religion. Mm. And the modern pagans, sometimes I call them Christian witches. Because, again, most of them were raised in a Christian background. Um, Not all, but most. Um, and so they, they think you're supposed to be nice to poor people and you're supposed to not beat up women and all these things. And the jungle doesn't teach you those things. The Bible does. Mm-hmm. I always tell my classes, the, ju- the jungle does not teach us to love our neighbor. The jungle teaches us to eat our neighbor, especially if they're old and slow. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, going back to something you said very start, like people know this kind of thing is coming to talk about this girl who got raped and it marrying the guy. I'm sure there are some skeptics who are listening and saying, where she just did what the Bible says, didn't she? Where if that's your kind of objection, I, I do read several books for a show. I have gone through one recently on Old Testament law, and we do, I do plan on trying to get in touch with y'all first. So we will be covering a topic like that, hopefully sometime in the future, about the Old Testament law and its relation today. But something I've been wondering about hearing all this and such is when it comes back to Casting the spares. I mean, talk about my friend who went out on a double date and ended up getting a love potion. And we say, well, that was something wrong on the part of a person, most likely. But then, like, okay, but here's a situation. About a month or so ago, I feel like I'm coming down with something. I get some Alka Seltzer cold and flu. I put it in a glass and I drink it up. How is what I'm doing any different? <laughs> Interesting question. Well, you know what? I, um, I have to deal with new age medicine all the time. So this kind of stuff comes out all the time. Mm-hmm. You can take, I'm just going to give a, a silly example, but you can take virus A or germ A, that's a bad thing for human beings, and put it under a test tube. And then you apply some, you know, 
some other element to it, penicillin or something else, and you can watch activity because it's a physical event, right? Right. Virtually all of the stuff that Wiccans do for spells, 99.9999% of it had nothing to do with the physical universe. Mm -hmm. They're all about this connection with this energy field of this force, forces, the goddess, whatever. And then somehow by doing this ritual, you will encourage the goddess to somehow give you what you desire. Again, the old pagans would do something more physical. They'd kill a virgin or whatever. Uh, the Aztecas would cut people's heart out to make the sun came back. All these different examples of this type of thing. It was always physical to bring about physical results. Well, in this kind of thing, it is physical in the sense that you're doing a spell, but you're not actually doing anything physical. Uh, so let's take your the very example. If you get an upset stomach and you want to take some Alka-Seltzer. So if somebody said, look, what you really should do is, <clears throat> is meditate on a candle flame for two hours, or you can take the Alka-Seltzer. Mm -hmm. Well, meditation on the candle flame does have physical effects, usually bad ones, but uh, is that what's going to help you with your stomach? Or is taking a physical thing medicine, in this case, what you want to do. So what I'm arguing is that the physical event, I have no problem. You know, yeah. if you want to get uh, penicillin out of mold or quinine out of tree bark, there's all sorts of examples of using nature um, to help physical ailments. But they're bypassing that by appealing to the fact that it's these connections to these forces. So maybe the best parallel to that is homeopathic medicine it's spiritual because it's been shaken and diluted a gazillion times so the original stuff is not even in it which makes it an absolute fraud in my mind but they know there's nothing in it but they still believe it because it's been shaken it's been diluted so there's nothing actually physical left to apply to any actual physical problem you have so to me these kinds of things where they're appealing not to a natural um, thing, although these people always talk about being in touch with nature, they're actually appealing to supernatural forces mm -hmm. somehow, whether it's the goddess or the forces that, you know, drive desire in the world or a zillion other things that you run into. That's what they're appealing to. And so the fact, you know, they might offer sacrifices in a, in a, in a witchcraft context today that's not animal and it's not human beings. Although a long time ago, pagans did that. But in the context today, the sacrifices might be a lock of your hair. It might be, um, you know, some money that you have. There's all sorts of things that are involved in these different spells. It just depends on who you read. Yeah. I remember my wife, maybe a month or two ago or so, uh, she has a number of mental conditions and she takes some psychiatric medicines as well, in addition to therapy, of course. And... There was someone who got after on Facebook, a Christian, and said, Claire, geez, look at the word, and it's the same word we get the word pharmacy from. So when you're taking medicine, it actually is a form of magic like that. Well, pharmakia is the Greek word that's often translated witchcraft, and it is our modern word for pharmacy and pharmaceutical and all these things. And the thing is that I think Paul's addressing in that passage is that it's very common to all the old pagan religions to do psychedelics, just like it's common with a lot of the pagan religions today. Mm -hmm. And the whole New Age movement is filled with all these, you know, whether it's Timothy Leary's whole thing about getting in touch with the other side, breaking on through to take all the doors music, or Don, um, uh, Don Castaneda at UCLA talking about going down to Mexico. These stories later turned out to be false, but meeting this bruja who gave him mescaline or peyote or all these, I mean, opiated consciousness is all over the place with these people. 
So drugs have a long history of association. And uh, I'll just give you this. My whole family was destroyed by drugs and, 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 you know, and alcohol. I mean, one of my first cousins blew his head off on LSD. My stepsister spent time in federal penitentiary because of being a meth dealer. Um, numerous divorces, numerous children. My, my nephew is a heroin addict today. Another nephew from a different brother is an opioid, whatever, how you pronounce that, addict. I know what drugs do to people, all right? So one of the great philosophers when I was at the University of Denver that all the postmodern writers like is Michael Foucault. And the guy says right out front that he's on LSD the last 25 years of his life before he died. And I'm like, you know, I tend not to take the word of LSD people as serious thought. <laughs> I can't imagine why. Yeah. Um, one of the things about these ancient religions is that you will often see psychedelics. In fact, the ancient Hindus have songs and, and, and hymns to this thing called Soma. And all we know about it today was a milk base, but it's psychedelic. Mm-hmm. And you would take this drug, however it was mixed, whatever was mixed with the milk, nobody really knows, but you would have these, these you know, out-of-body experiences. You'd meet Shiva, you know, in the air or something like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's true of the modern Hindu movement today. And that's true of Buddhists I've talked to and all sorts of others. So I think what Paul's talking about in, in connection with these with witchcraft, uh, witchcraft is the English word that the New Testament used, but he's really talking about pagan religions. Mm-hmm. And the pagan religions, uh, it's hard to find some that aren't driven by some sort of psych, you know, whether it's the shamans, the brujas, the witch doctors, whatever you call them throughout the world. Um, psychedelics of some sort, whether natural or, you know, chemically created ones in the laboratory are almost always part of the picture. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can name you all sorts of famous people who talked about the fact they were doing this on LSD and they met Shiva, they met, you know, Kali, whatever. Um, they have experiences. The other side of this is the mindless meditation I was mentioning a minute ago. Many people say, oh, I don't want the mindless meditation. I don't want the drugs. That's too harmful. I'm going to do this meditation instead. And uh, you know what? You can arrive at the same mindless state doing that. And I always tell the classes I teach at churches or secular schools, anytime somebody tells you to avoid the mind, get around the mind, there should be a red flag going up, warning, garbage coming in. Yeah. Because I'll tell you the two plus two is seven, and you're going to believe it because I'm Guru Billy Bob, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, no, God gave us a mind, and he gave us the mind to rationally think our way through things. So two plus two is four, and eight is not equal non-eight, all these basic principles of logic and stuff. These things, this is how God created us, and that's how we communicate with each other, and that's how God communicates with us. He creates, he uses logical statements and all this kind of fun stuff. Well, having said all that, um, psychedelics is how you can believe that Kali is the uni- you know is the real universe you know ruler of the universe and this kind of stuff because you've been doing some serious drugs and anybody who comes out of that background and again I I was saved in, in the middle of that I didn't get near as bad as my brothers my younger brothers or my stepsister or my cousins did um, I had one psychedelic experience and I you know I have a lot of friends from the 60s who were saving the Jesus people movement who were real serious drug addicts and and they'll tell you, there's just whole parts of their mind and their memory they can't get, they can't access. It just got burned, almost, mm-hmm. almost in a literal. It's, it's a metaphor, but it's almost literally that their minds got, you know, burned out. Well, how do you follow these pagan religions and, and stuff like this? I think part of it is you do experience something out there. So for me, the the, the psychedelics are a gateway to the spiritual, the bad side, as you as you want to say. 
of the spiritual world. world. And uh, again, when they brag about that, that's confirmation of that very notion. Mm. Uh, I guess it would kind of depend on what you're doing and what the intent is. I mean, when my wife takes her medications for psychiatric conditions. She's not trying to have a psychedelic experience or anything like that. She's just trying to get her body, body chemistry aligned properly and she's no, not contacting foreign spirits and such. Yeah, and I, I don't even, somebody asked me about this question because they, they have a very staunch and hard view on this. And somebody said, well, what about anesthesia for surgery? You're not really in touch with reality there. No, but it has a very, very limited purpose, and you're not trying to access, you know, yeah. dark forces or evil beings or anything like mm-hmm. that. Right. Um, most Wiccans would want to go back to witchcraft. Most of them would want to differentiate themselves from Satanists who are into the dark side, whereas we Wiccans are only about being a blessing and helping the environment. They're usually very hard left politically. They're very big into environmentalism. Mm-hmm. They're very big on the pacifists for the most part. Uh, um, Again, they don't fit the model of the old pagans who are, you know, hey, guess what? Nature's filled with death, so let's just practice that. Um, so they don't they don't want to associate themselves with these bad spirits or bad things. And the people who do, those are those evil Satanists. I remember going into a, a, a witchcraft store. There was a big one called Isis here in Denver years ago. I don't see it anymore, but... And there was a sign about, we are accepting to all traditions and all faiths and all religions. And it goes through this whole long list of how open-minded they are. And at the bottom, it says, except for Satanists. And I'm like, okie dokie, I get the point here. They even have a bad line that, you know, they don't want to cross. Mm-hmm. But the, the beliefs in Satanism, frankly, are not that much different from the beliefs in witchcraft. And mm-hmm. that's another, you know, thing that most witches don't want to admit. But they don't explore it. They just know Satanists, you know, they try to hurt people at all. Mm-hmm. I think also some people have told me that one of the reasons they see this as growing so much in popularity is that, you know, just because there isn't much of a bear work in use, man is by nature a very spiritual being. Maybe you could just say a religious being. And when you just give give atheism out there and tell people there's nothing else, it does leave a vacuum. I agree. And, and Nick, that's why I think um, that's why I say that atheism is such a small amount of people, and most of these atheists are not really atheists. Mm-hmm. It's like atheism. So you get raised in a church or synagogue, whatever. You go to the university. Your professor takes great pride in destroying your fairly lackadaisical faith. You come out and you pronounce yourself an atheist, and you're angry against those religious people. But you know what? That doesn't really give you many answers. Mm-hmm. And human beings like answers. We want to have meaning in our life. We want our decisions to have some value. If you read all the atheist philosophers, Sartre, Nietzsche, and all these guys, they're depressing beyond belief. Oh, yeah. And even those guys were inconsistent. And you can't live as if there's no purpose to life. You just can't. Mm -hmm. So they find purpose in other things. Well, to a lot of these people, they they find purpose in the environmental movement, or they find purpose in, uh, today it's all about the sex slave trade and stuff like that. They find purpose and meaning because you can't live on the basis that there's no meaning. Of course, if you're a perfect atheist, there is no meaning, give it up. You know, and some of the atheists are nice enough to admit that on record, you know, in their books and stuff. Mm-hmm. But most people, atheism, I think, is a stage. And they go through that stage to get rid of their Christian or Jewish faith or whatever, and then they end up some sort of pagan of some. Uh, I think that's Nick Harris. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Sam, Sam Harris. Harris. Yeah. I think that's some of these other characters as well. But having said all that, the uh, the reality is is that these uh, this stage, as it were, 
Uh, paganism is is a, is a terrible thing. It's it's absolutely a nasty thing. It, one of the points that I try to make in this paper, why not burn witches? And I'll give you the complaint. There used to be a, a series of movies that was on for years on PBS right before Halloween. So right about now, PBS would show this series called The Burning Times. You can still find it on YouTube and stuff like this. And it was a series, I think, of three different um, short movies talking about all the evil things that those terrible medieval Christians did to those wonderful earth mamas in the, in the medieval ages. Oh, God. Who just wanted to heal people and love people. And those evil Christians who hate women killed them for it. And did you know that 9 million witches were killed during the medieval ages by the so-called loving church? Who'd want to be a part of that? Boy, that's a heck of an argument, especially if you don't know anything about history or anything else. Why would you want to be involved with a movement that you know, has targeted 9 million women and slaughtered them? Oh, my gosh, who needs that? Um, well, again, it's all a fairy tale. And there have been uh, very feminist scholars like Cynthia Eller and others who are not – no friend of the Christian church by any stretch who basically called out their fellow feminists and said, this is nonsense. Stop it. You're, you're, you're putting us back. And I think that's why Burning Times is not on PBS anymore, even though 20 years ago it was, it was the rage. And so my whole idea about, about Burning Witch is when you tell me that there is no such thing as right and wrong, absolutely, each person decides for themselves. So Nick, almost every conversation I've had, when somebody tells me they're a witch, they will almost always follow that up and no one can determine what witchcraft is for me and i get to determine what's right for me no one is out there there's no pope there's no bishop there's no book there's nobody can tell me that i'm right or wrong each of us is divine and we choose our, our own way okay that's their that's their statement all right mm-hmm. then they will turn around and criticize the you know the catholic church for killing nine million witches during the medieval ages so i point out just a couple simple things that i point out um Historically, it's a fairy tale. Um, yeah. Most actual historians put the number that were killed during the, the Inquisition times between 30,000 as a low and 300,000. Uh, I mean, the whole Inquisition sucks as far as I'm concerned. But nevertheless, it's a long way to go from three, even if you take the high end of 300,000, to nine million witches, all women. Plus, the more you study the Inquisition, witches were not the main target of the Inquisition until the late 1400s when a couple of monks wrote a stupid book on witchcraft, the hammer of witches, it was called in English. The primary targets of the Inquisition was what I call pre-Protestant Lutherans, or pre-Luther Protestants, excuse me, like the followers of Hess and, and, and the Waldenses and all these different characters, mm-hmm. and Jews. Those were the targets of the Inquisition for the most part. Witches are late to the party. And guess what? A whole lot of these people were men. Um, that were killed during the witch trials all across Europe. And I usually reference this, on, I take it to a much closer thing for most people, is the Salem witch trials. And if you watch the burning times, oh my gosh, witch after witch was burned at Salem. So I usually ask my class, all right, anybody, everybody knows witches were burned at Salem. Would anybody like to take a guess how many? I get answers for like 2,000, 2,500, you know, 120. I mean, I get all these numbers. And I tell them after they've all, you know, basically... Uh, fell from my line, I say, guess what? Zero. Not a single witch was burned at Salem, despite all the propaganda in the movies and the Hollywood, you know, hysteria. 19 people were hung. One person was crushed by rocks. And virtually all of them were not witches. Almost all of them. You can find their statements online. Almost all of them were members of the of the Congregational Church, which was the Puritan Church in Salem. Uh, the ministers did not hate women um, in Salem. In fact, they loved women because women are a gift from God. 
Mm-hmm. And Amen. Amen. There you go. Tell that one to your, to your wife. The speaker commended that you guys are a gift from God. Um, anyways, they loved women. Virtually all of them had been educated at Harvard, which was around for 50 years at that point, or they'd come from Oxford or Cambridge, which were all Christian schools at that point. For all of them were huge fans of Isaac Newton's Principia Mathematica, you know, where they understood the worldview of science that was becoming such a big thing. And they all opposed the trials, except for Cotton Mather, and one, a very famous Puritan minister, and he later repented and apologized. And in fact, it's facts that people don't know, the state of Massachusetts was paying the descendants of the victims up until the 1950s. Mm-hmm. 300 years later, basically. Why would they do that? They did that because the state ran the trials, not the church. And this is often true in the European scenario as well, because the state and church were very deeply connected, which offends my Baptist soul. But, um, this, the, you know, it's the magistrates that are driving these things, not the church. And, and so often, case yes, the church was way too involved, especially in Europe. But in the Salem example, most of these people were killed because the magistrates ran these things. And there's a whole lot more to the, the witchcraft trial I won't go into. But the, the thing that's, that's sad about this is that people just believe propaganda because it sells well. You know, they saw a movie once and that makes, that makes it true. They don't really study. So oftentimes I have to just, when I'm talking to witches or people like this, I have to kind of take apart some of these myths that they've bought into. And this first witch I was telling you about earlier that I had a great conversation with, when I brought up the 9 million, he said, oh, I know that's not true. I said, great, because I read in Jerry Gardner's book, and he admits in the next paragraph, nobody has any idea about the number. So that's good. He goes, do you know where Jerry Gardner got that number? And I said, I have no idea. He says he took the 6 million people that died in the Holocaust, and he just inverted it, inverted the 6 into a 9. And I'm like, oh, that's historical research. I mean, I'm just he's giggling, too, because we both know this is a farce, right? Mm-hmm. But a whole lot of young people, they believe it. Mm-hmm. They believe it with all their heart. It must be true. It's on the internet, Nick, so it must well, be true. Like, uh, as a historian, idea of Jesus mysticism a lot. So yes, I know what people believe on the internet. There you go. <laughs> I got a quarter. I got a rock. I have to everyone at this point you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast. My guest this week is Bill Hansberger. We're talking about Wicca and how we can reach people in Wicca. Bill, if you're listening here next week, talking about people believing anything on the internet, it's very convenient because next week we're going to be talking about conspiracy theories. Oh boy. And Christians believe in conspiracy theories. If you're wondering about things like the Illuminati or the New World Order or things like that, well, tune in next week. My ministry partner is going to be my guest next week again. That's a J.P. Holding of Tectonics. He's written a book about this kind of thing called Jesus Was a Mushroom and Other Lies You Won't Believe. So we're going to be getting some information about all these crazy conspiracy theories out there. So tune in next week, and I can hear you laughing there because I think you've probably encountered some of these, haven't you? Oh, the latest one is the planet was going to end, you know, the, because Ariba, the other hidden planet, was about to hit us two, was it, a month ago now. Now it's going to hit us at the end of this month. I mean, mm. there's so many Christians online that buy into this. And I get hated. I get hate mail from people saying, but Bill, people should be ready and they're not helping. And I'm like, it's not true. Yeah. 
Calm it, down. It's very interesting. These these interviews, they go up on YouTube after they're done. And I have them edited, and JP is the one that puts them all up on YouTube for me. Sometimes I'll go, and I'll look, and I'll see how my videos are going. I mean, which ones are getting the most hits and such. Tells me a bit about my audience. And by far, by far to a huge number, the number one video I have thus far is one I did a few months ago. And that was when I had Hugh Ross come on. And we talked about September 23rd and Rosh Hashanah. Number one, nothing else even comes close. And I find that very revealing. How interesting. Well, I've read some of the tectonic stuff. I like it. I've never met uh, JP, but I, I enjoy uh, some of the articles I've read mm. and all. Um, boy, I'm honored to be on with some of these people. This is, the, you know, that you've had on your show. That's that's great stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk some also about the whole idea also. We should, you said we should discuss about the relativism inherent in it. Because it seems like if you're going to say, do no harm, then do as you will, it seems like already right there you're abandoning relativism. Well, if you want consistency, you're in the wrong place, Um Nick. Yeah. And that's one thing. But however, the Bible does say there's a certain consistency. It tells us in Romans 2 that every person, even the Gentiles, have the law written on their heart. Mm. And it tells me in Romans 1 that they have to suppress what they know about God, right? Mm. Suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So I know when I'm talking to people, whether they're Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, New Age, or Wiccan, Scientologist, I don't care what, I know that they know deep inside somewhere that murder is wrong. Mm hmm. I've had a few conversations with some Hindus denying this, but for the most part, virtually everybody I've ever talked to in all these years of ministry, and I've talked about every religion you can ever think of, and they all know it, right? Even if, if their own belief system undermines that idea, they know it. So that's the suppression angle going on, right? Right. So anyways, with witches, like I was saying, the big draw for a long time was this appeal to the evil Christian church killing nine million witches, Whereas we Wiccans, we would never harm a fly. You know, that's that's the appeal. And it sells well today. And it sells well because they're big on the environment. Of course, Christians hate the, the earth, so they hate the environment. All these kind of nonsense, you know, uh, claims that are made. So one of the things I make, I said, let's suppose you're right. Let's suppose, just for the sake of the discussion, that uh, Christians killed 9 million witches during the Middle Ages. Okay, let's just say that's wrong. Um, let me see. If you're right about morality... I'm going to do this in a rabbinic form. On the one hand, Christians killed 9 million witches. But on the other hand, you say that morality is relative to the individual. So if it's true, here's the reductio argument here. If it's true that nine, you know, that morality is relative to the individual, then what's wrong with me and some of my Baptist buddies running up to Boulder and frying a few earth mamas? After all, that's what we think is right. And therefore, what's wrong with the Catholic Church killing nine million witches if morality is relative? Isn't it their right? Don't they have the right as individuals to choose what's right for themselves? Isn't that what you've been telling me this whole time now that we're talking? Now, of course, they quickly back off because they know darn well it's wrong to kill witches, whether it happened or not. So I say in my paper I wrote about this, whether it's one witch or nine million, it was wrong. It was evil. Why? Because God says it's evil. (laughs) And there's an objective standard for morality, and you know that murder is wrong, don't you? And they always say yes. Okay, so if it's wrong, then morality can't be relative. There are objectives, or absolutes, we should say, absolute ethics in this universe. And you know it, and I know it. 
So how many witches are killed is not the point. The fact that any witches were killed is a terrible thing. It's an evil and it's wrong, but not based on what you believe. So if what you believe is moral relativity, then you can't turn around and complain about the murder of witches or anybody else. And that usually gets them to think for a little bit because a relativist sells well. And you know, like most relativists, and I was at Sea Boulder for a number of years and all these other fun places, most relatives are not really relatives. Sea Boulder right. relativism is, you know, everybody's a relativist. Uh, unless you are harming the whales. Mm-hmm. All right. I was there in the early 90s, unless you, uh, you were doing date rape. That's, that's evil and wrong. We have to stamp that out. Or unless you're George Bush. <laughs> that was also evil and wrong right. to be uh, George Bush. But the, the point is you can't have it both ways. If morality is relative, then eating the witch, helping the witch across the street, they're both the same thing. It just depends on the individual's you know, preference at that given moment, which might change tomorrow. That's the joy of relativism. So most of these people are not real relativists. That's why I use murder to, to make them realize that. They're sexual relativists. Yeah. And even then that's limited. They want to be able, the ability to choose who they can sleep with. And so the Christian yeah. church, Phyllis Corral did a big thing this in 93 at the parliament she talked about how the christian church was so evil and wrong because it stifles human sexuality right. by saying you know it's man and woman and marriage and all this terrible stuff whereas of course now it's even worse than what she was talking about is there's a zillion genders and options out there right mm-hmm. according to a whole lot of strange people um well i i just pushed that again i was a deputy sheriff long before i became a missionary and one of the things i point out to them was you know, I met a whole bunch of people who thought that having sex with little children was just fine. It made them happy. It was what they called love. Are you telling me that's wrong? And I'll give you an actual conversation. I, was, I met with a homosexual activist online for several months. And uh, she was going to seminary, of all things, in Oklahoma. And so I'm talking to her about all this stuff. And she's telling me how the Bible's wrong about morality and all this kind of stuff. And so I brought up this example of all these pedophiles I had met. Every one of them, and I'm serious about this, Nick, every pedophile I ever worked with, and we had a whole wing of them, and I had to guard those guys once in a while. Every one of them said this, this is the way God made me, and as soon as I'm out of here, I'm going to go back and do it again. I never met a repentant one. I suppose it's possible out there in this, in this wide world that there are repentant pedophiles, but I never met them. I never, I never parented the same way again. I was the, hover, the original hover parent. My kids never left my sight. They weren't playing in the yard by themselves ever again because I met too many of these guys. All right, so I tell her that. She got offended. I can't believe that you say such a thing, that pedophiles are anywhere equated to a loving relationship between, you know, same-sex adults. And I said, well, I would take you seriously, except you need to explain why NAMBLA, North American Man-Boy Love Association, the pedophile's top proponent, why they're in every gay rights parade in this country. And they are. Because it's the same argument. If you're a homosexual wants to say this is the way God made me, then a pedophile gets to say this is the way God made me. Mm-hmm. And oh, by the way, a wife beater gets to say this is the way God made me. If you're just going to claim this kind of thinking, then you're going to have to own up to all of it. And so morality really does come relative, but nobody wants to live that way, and they don't either. So it's making them think these things through, Nick, is what I try to do as a precursor to the gospel, because none of them believe they're sinners. That's that old Christian stuff. I walked away from that. I'm a divine being. I'm not a sinner. So if you don't believe in sin, then there's no need to be saved. And if there's no need to be saved, then Jesus wasted his time on the cross. That's basically the mindset you run into. Oh, it's really weird. I was in Israel talking to Jews last summer. We had a mission trip to Israel. And um, I met Orthodox rabbis and all sorts of other people who don't believe they're sinners. 
And I'm like, dude, it's your book. You guys introduced this concept to the world. They have run away from it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, what is Yom Kippur all about? If we don't need to be, if there's no atonement, you know, and if there's no atonement because there's no sin. I mean, people are, are just convinced that we are wonderful creatures. And uh, of course, the Bible says a very different thing, and so does reality. So when I talk to witches, I want them to think. I want them to think hard about this, this mm-hmm. notion of what they said. And let me go back. Remember I said earlier about the goddess worshipers who have been really hurt by men? Yeah. And I grant that. I know there's horrible men out in this world. I, I, yeah. Jeez, oh, I had a jail full of them. And I've been in almost every prison and jail in this state in Colorado. And uh, I, uh, you know, I don't even, it would make everybody sick if I talked about the stuff I saw there. But one of the realities is, is that what makes murdering a two-year-old girl after you've raped her. What makes that evil is not people's preferences. Because there's all sorts of cultures where sex with children is normal. And there's all sorts of people out there, including professors at Rutgers and John Hopkins and all sorts of other places, arguing that way right now. That pedophilia should be declassified and should no longer be a crime and all this kind of stuff. Well, my point is this. You know that it's wrong to rape and murder little kids for fun. And not just me as a Christian, not just you as a Christian, Nick, but the average Muslim, the average Jehovah's Witness, the average Mormon, everybody knows this. Even the atheist knows this. And so, you know, when the truth is being suppressed by their false beliefs, and they push that kind of notion that God put on their conscience, they'll push it down. So part of what I try to do is to make them think through that, peel through that false belief, whether it's about murder or rape or stuff like this. So the goddess worshiper says, look, it's that male God who has, you know, enabled men to go out and hurt women. That's the claim, okay? So we, we turn to the goddess who is embodied in nature. Well, where does nature say it's wrong to rape? Mm-hmm. Where does nature say it's wrong to abuse women or abuse little children? I, I must have missed that chapter in my class. I watched Animal Planet. I watched a lot of David Attenborough videos. I didn't see that ever. It's kind of well, red and claw, isn't it? And horrible violence and then more violence and animals raping each other, and all sorts of other fun things. So let me get this right. You want to turn for solace and consolation and help to a movement that ultimately cannot say that raping you was wrong, whereas the Bible says it's wrong and says that these people need to be punished and punished severely. I had a conversation just four months ago. There's a big event in Denver every summer called the People's Fair. And for one weekend, 300,000 people are in downtown Denver. It's a massive thing. So tons of religious groups have um, booths there and stuff like this. So for us as missionaries, it's a target-rich environment. Every 10 feet is a whole other religion, you know, the whole section dedicated to religions. So I was talking to this new age lady who was telling me how we're all God. And there's no such thing as ultimate good and evil. And the standard thing that most Wiccans and most pagans hold on to. So I said, well, well, you don't believe there's really evil. She says, well, it's really dependent on the individual. I'm like, really? And I started talking to her about stuff, and I brought up some examples of some people I really care for. I didn't use any names, obviously, and who have been raped. Mm-hmm. And raped repeatedly for years. And her face turned. You could just see it. And she looked at me, and she's about my age. She looked at me, she says, I was raped twice. And I said, oh, my gosh, I am so sorry. This is so terrible. I am so sorry that this happened to you. Those people need to be punished. I said, but you know better than anybody mm-hmm. what evil is, don't you? And she looked at me and she goes, I see where you're going with this. 
Then I talked to her pastor later on, about two hours later, and her pastor, so-called pastor of this new age, said that God doesn't care about murder or rape. I'm really, how will you minister to somebody in your church, quote unquote, if they've been raped? What are you going to do? Tell them God doesn't give a rip about that? Because God is just an energy field and a force and all this nonsense. But you know what? That lady knew, and her name is Karen, and I'm praying for Karen too, mm -hmm. you know, that she knows why that there is evil. So I got to share the gospel with her too, because she understands that, you know, despite what she's being told in her church, <clears throat> that there is evil and sin in this world, and that's what Jesus came to deal with. Mm -hmm. So to me, this, this these conversations have a you know wonderful, um, how do we say this, introductory movement into the gospel itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I uh, I follow a number of I'm thinking about this because I follow a number of marriage blogs and such, and comment on them regularly from a Christian perspective. These are Christian blogs and such. And I had someone post a blog about how I said that sex is is not the end. It's meant for an end for something else, for men and such. And someone said, well, what about when men do X, Y, Z and such? And what I had responded was these men doing things that outside of marriage and such, it's not inconsistent because men are looking for something greater than themselves. And it sounds to me that's, that's what a lot of Wiccans are doing as well, which is probably why they have the sort of spiritual sex you spoke about. And I even gave a quote from G.K. Chesterton where he said, when a man knocks on the door of a brothel, he's looking for God. Oh, great. I love Chesterton. He's always got interesting things to say. Uh -huh. You know, Nick, let me play on your theme for a minute. Uh -huh. If you take the New Testament at all seriously, yeah, because all the people out there, especially the Marxists are all talking about how in the hardcore feminist movement, they're all Marxists, but how evil, you know, the tr traditional Jewish Christian notion of marriage is, right? Mm -hmm. And we need to destroy the, the whole patriarchy. And part of the patriarchy is this whole man, woman, it's slavery and it's justified rape. And it's all this silliness coming out of these people. If they understood at all what the world really is and what the world actually looks like outside of our very protected, formerly Judeo-Christian culture, I don't think they talk that way. If you understand what marriage was like 2,000 plus years ago when the New Testament is written, this is a culture where women are basically cattle. Yep. And girl babies are being aborted at tremendous rates, infanticide rate of girl babies. The only time male babies are killed generally is if they're handicapped. But girl babies are being killed. They have found thousands of in sewer lines that the Romans built. They have found thousands of infant female skeletons. Because people would just throw them out, just like they kill girls in India and China today. I, I, I just literally talked about this a few weeks ago with my philosophy class. In cases where you see a you know hardcore abortion, fantasize, ninety nine percent of it is all the girls. Yeah. Why is it always girls, guys? I'm just curious about that. You know, trying to get them to think this through. Why is it always the girls that are attacked? So when the Bible says, for example, that a husband should love his wife. As Christ loved the church who died and gave himself up for. What man of that day, outside of this very tiny little group of Christian you know, believers, <clears throat> what man would give up his life to save some woman? Yeah, he can always get another woman. What's yeah. the big deal? He probably already has several on the side anyways. Yeah. Um why would he be motivated at all to protect his wife? But the Bible says that a husband must love and protect his wife in the way Jesus 
that we should even be willing to offer our our, our, li- our own life up to protect yeah. her. You know, when James Cameron, just a great illustration of this, how far we've left that idea behind. Mm-hmm. James Cameron, who's a total new ager, was talking about the movie Titanic, which, of course, was an enormous success. And if you watch that movie, and thankfully I'm not one of my daughters who watched it eight billion times, but if you watch the movie towards the end of it, you know, a huge part of it is all these men, including the bad guy of the story, dressing as a woman and sneaking onto the boats, okay? And in every single written account that we have of the 700 or so people survived, that never happened, not even once. Mm. In fact, even, you know, multi-billionaire people that were on that boat, they dressed up in their tuxedos, they went out and stood on the boat, and they let the women go. And Cameron knows this. And so he, I was reading this interview about this. And he goes, he says, I know that's what happened. That's what the earlier movies, um, A Night to Remember and all these other Titanic movies showed. But I don't think anybody will believe it today. Mm-hmm. So he put self-interested people trying to get, you know, get off the boat and, and the heck with women and children. But that's not how those people thought. Yeah. Because the majority of them were Christian or at least had been raised with a Christian sensibility about the fact that you protect women and children. That's a man's job. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Bible stresses. For husbands. Yeah. So the, the God's worshipers are sadly turning away from the only thing that can help them, which is God's word and people following, you know, and applying what God has taught us all. remind everyone at this point you're listening to the deeper waters podcast everything we do here is listener supported and we really do need the support of people like you out there it really makes a big difference to us it means so much to us if you want to support go to my website that's deeperwatersapologetics.com i'm looking on there right now in fact and we've got a link on the side i mean the whole side section tells you about how to do things there's a there's a Part of it says, help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. And you go there, and you make your donation. And when you click on the link, you get sent to the ministry of Risen Jesus. You've gone to the right place. Those are my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. And you make your donation there, and then you get in touch with me, or my wife, Ari, or Mike, or Debbie, and you say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. And if you do that, then we will get your donation and we'll be tax deductible. If you don't do that, it's just going to be fought to be for risen Jesus. So you need to clarify that. And I always appreciate it when those donations come in. You can also buy some ebooks I've either written, such as A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed, or In Today's Christian, or co written, such as Defining Inerrancy, God and Natural Disasters, Groundlets, um, Christian answers, this generation's questions, etc. And, you know, we've been talking about how to treat women on here some as well. Well, guys, I'm not sure if you've noticed this. I mean, Bill here has eight children. 
And I was so he's he's gotta be doing something right with his wife. And I'm <laughs> sure he, he's noticed this. Well, don't get too weird because we adopted five of them. Okay. Well, you can tell me if you've noticed this, but have you discovered that women seem to like jewelry? Yes. Yeah. Well, if you've discovered that, guys, we have a jewelry store, actually. We have a lady who sells jewelry with premier jewelers. And if you go there and you make a purchase and you let her, Lena Cluster, or myself know, wherever you purchase, 25% of that goes to Deeper Waters. So, uh, I mean, the way I see it, you can buy something nice for that lady in your life to make up for that big screw-up that you recently did. <laughs> or you can buy something for that lady in your life as a preventative insurance for that big screw-up that I know you're going to make in the future. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think you and I both know we can speak from experience on that one. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so, and if you can't do any of those, please go on iTunes at least and consider leaving a positive review. I, I saw a new one today, and it makes me so happy every time I see a positive review of a Deeper Waters podcast. Love to see it. Uh, Bill, do you have an organization or a charity you like to see people donate to? Well, if they, we're a mission organization, so if they want to support us, we are a 501c3, so they can just go to havenministry.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you see all of our missionary and you just click on the picture and you can support people through PayPal and that's all, you know, tax deductible and all that good stuff. But um, we're supported by individuals and churches all over the country. And so if people believe in the kind of thing we're doing and they like seeing the gospel shared to these people in these other religions and, and God's called them to do that, then uh, sure, we'd love to have people support us and uh, Lord bless them if they do. Either way, we, we, even, we even covet more that people would pray for us. Mm. And so a lot of times if you get our newsletter, which you can get for free or you can get the online version, because um, of the places we go, it's, you know, this is spiritual warfare at its finest. And so we ask that people pray, not only for us as a staff, but for the people we're witnessing to them. Like we go to Mormon events or the Buddhist events, all the stuff I was telling you about. And it's really is spiritual warfare. So we covet people's prayers and they can find out about the activities on the newsletter on, on the website. Mm -hmm. You know, I would like to say something about what you were saying about Paul and Ephesians 5 before we went to that little break to give some advertising and such in. And that's that if you look at house rules published back then, such as by Aristotle and others, they were all pretty much saying, hey, uh, women and the servants, this is how you get in line to support the, the man, the head of the household. But if you look at what Paul says, most of what he has to say is to the head of the household. Yeah, exactly right. The ancient world, both the philosophy world, the religious world, and most of the philosophy and religious world to this very day had no use for women. Jesus was the real radical on the mm -hmm. issue of women. Right. And um, Paul the Apostle follows up. And it's so interesting. All the stuff I heard before as a Christian and after I was a Christian is how Paul hated women, all the stuff. I'm like, okay, because I never read the Bible. Then I become a Christian. I'm studying, you know, and reading and I go up to Bible college because I don't know anything. I'm trying to learn. And all of a sudden I'm realizing, hey, that wasn't true. <laughs> all these things I've been told were not true. And so Paul's comments on marriage are literally the most radical things you'll read in that day. Mm -hmm. No husband thought that way. Nor did they see any need to think that way. But God spoke through Paul and said, husband, love your wife. And be willing to die for her. And that's a profound truth. And we're losing that in our culture. That's a, well, we pretty much lost already. That's a sad, sad thing for our culture. 
I like to go back to some of the beginning of the interview I said that this movement is really, really popular among young people and such. Yes. And it, it, it kind of surprised me because, like I said, I'm, I'm interacting with skeptics a lot here on the internet and such. I hardly ever, I can't even remember last time I came across someone practicing Wicca and such. For those out there who are listening and saying, you know, Nick, I think the same thing. I don't think I've seen this. Why are we having a show on this? I mean, just how prevalent is it exactly? Well, there's the rub because it's not organized. <clears throat> I can ask a Mormon how many Mormons there are. They'll give me some fairy tale about 14 million. Yeah. Southern Baptists will say 16 million. You know, Orthodox you know movement in uh, New York might say there's you know 400,000 of us. Whatever, because those are those are organized. They have a what scholars would call a structural approach to them. <clears throat> but Wicca evades all that kind of stuff. So one of the only ways you can tell, and whenever I talk to somebody who identifies them as a Wiccan, almost the second thing out of my mouth is, oh, so who do you read? So one of the ways I figure out what I'm dealing with is, are they reading Starhawk? Are they reading Phyllis Corral? Are they reading Jerry Gardner? You know, and there's a host of other um, important writers in the Wicca movement that kind of give me an idea of numbers. Phyllis Corral said, this is 1993. That the Covenant of the Goddess started in the mid-80s, and in 1993, when she got up to speak, she was the head of this Covenant of the Goddess. She said there were 300,000 members of the Covenant of the Goddess. Now, I don't know if she's just blowing smoke. I have no idea and where they get that number. But I'm like, gee, I, I, I'm supported by a lot of evangelical free churches, and their movement's been around a long time. There's only 300,000 of them. So, wow, this is fast. And again, um, the Witchbox website is telling you about there's a whole thing for kids there. And they were talking, this is many years ago now, so I don't have the exact numbers, but they were talking back when the heyday of Harry Potter, mm. the movies were so popular, that they had at some point, like in some certain period of time, over 10,000 hits from young kids as young as 9 or 10 years old that literally wanted to go to Hogwarts school because they'd seen that movie. So that's a whole lot of interested kids. Mm -hmm. um, again, there's no real way to say this. One thing that's interesting is that um, I don't see the witches per se as formal witches at the psychic fairs like I used to. They used to be all the time. The one in Color Springs down by Manitou always had a, a, a booth for witches there. So most of the ones I've talked to lately, some have been online. Uh, then I'll just, you know, casually meet somebody, you know, every once in a while who will identify themselves as a witch. I don't know what to make of that. I don't know. I don't think they're getting smaller. And I'll give you one reason why I think they have spread so much to whatever extent that is. And I don't know that um, it's very hard to quantify, but uh, at the parliament, I spent a lot of time talking to witches and I spent a ton of time talking to this Theravada Buddhist monk who was a German fellow who had blown off the church when he was a kid, went down to Thailand to find enlightenment. Now the difference between his beliefs and the Wiccans is almost negligible. I mean, there's divine consciousness in all things, you know, both all that and morality is, you know, relative except the Buddhist literature that he gave me was all about how you should never harm anybody. Don't do anything bad. He even said, don't do anything good. Don't do anything at all. He says, but it was all about pacifism. So I asked him, his name was Sukasito, his Buddhist name. I said, Sukasito, I said, uh, I, I appreciate that you're committed to nonviolence, but tell me as, you know, basically Theravada Buddhists claim to be atheists, how do you know it's wrong to kill? And he actually said to me, well, there's a still small voice in all of us that tells us it's wrong to kill. And I said, Sukasito, that's a really 
really interesting idea, but some people hear the still small voice and it tells them to kill all bad women with a hatchet. And he kind of laughs and goes, yeah, that's true. And he goes, actually, nature teaches us it's wrong to kill. Well, you already know where I'm going with this. Oh, yes. And there was no Animal Planet in 1993, and all those shows that all the kids watch now, all there was was the David Attenborough, or Richard Attenborough, whatever his name is, Attenborough guy from, from the BBC. It showed all these nature videos that were pretty much animals killing each other and making little animals which kill each other. <clears throat> and I said, you know, there's a lot of beauty, and there's a lot of wonderful things in nature, but the one thing you can't say about nature is that, it's, you know, that it has no violence. It's a very violent place. And he literally started to yell at me. He says, you just think you need a personal God or something to tell you what's right and wrong. I said, absolutely. See, he wasn't a real relativist. He didn't want evil and murder, for example, to be up for counting noses. Oh, these people think it's okay. Those people think it's wrong. Let's try to get more people on the wrong side. He didn't believe that. He thinks it's wrong for everybody. That's a moral absolute again. But in turning away from God and turning to, in this case, nature, he loses the ability to say that murder is wrong because gazillions of things lose their life every day because they're getting eaten by something else in nature. That's just part of the picture. So whatever you want to say about nature, it doesn't teach that. <clears throat> well, my point is with, with the Wiccan community, like I said, most of them today come out of this Judeo-Christian culture. However, things are changing. And this is about 10, 15 years ago. I, I, there's a, a Wiccan goddess worshiper magazine called Beltane Papers that I used to subscribe to. And there was this whole article called Sacred Abortion. Mm. All right. And the argument in the article was actually this, this the author was a ghostwriter, was um, taking us into this abortion. But the, too many women feel guilty, so they decided to turn the abortion itself into a religious ritual. So they lit candles, and they did chanting, and they put incense in the air, and all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> and then they, a, a channeler, if you know what a channeler is, someone who claims to speak to spirits. Mm -hmm. A channeler was in the room, and they communicated with the unborn baby. This is all prior to the actual abortion. So this channel was claiming she was talking to this spirit, this baby, who was actually, you, have to, you need a scorecard to keep track of this one, Nick, who was actually the mother of the actual mother in the office there. Mm. So she's carrying her own mother. Again, it gets weird. <laughs> and so they had this nice long conversation, at which point the channeler says, well, she doesn't want to come back to live. She just come back to visit. So they disconnected spiritually, I guess. The abortion was performed. Of course, the baby's killed. Afterwards, they did more chanting, and they did more candle waving and you know, all this meditation stuff. And then at the end, she kind of comes out of the closet quite completely. She says, look, she says, we have too many human beings on the planet, and we're not taking this holistically, this whole thing about abortion. We need to see Mother Kali, the death goddess of India. We should be worshiping Kali, who accepts us all. And I'm paraphrasing the line, but basically the worship of Kali provides for this holistic approach to abortion and a zillion other things. Well, yeah, Kali's the one that's covered with skulls and blood and every depiction every Hindu believer has ever had of Kali is a nasty thing. She's so bad and evil, she even kills Shiva, the real destroyer, according to Hindu legend. So 
here's this woman basically articulating that we need to embrace the sacred death stuff again. We've had too much sacred sex out there. Too many babies are being procreated. And we need to embrace this whole sacred death. And she even uses those words. And I just I sent this to Don Vino immediately. He turned around and gave it to that uh, that conservative Jewish um, radio lady. Who is she? This is 15 years ago, so I'm trying to remember who she was. But and she Laura Sessinger. Sidian. <clears throat> Laura Sessinger. Doctor Laura. Uh, might have been. I can't remember. <clears throat> Anyhow, <clears throat> I'm losing my voice here. Just a second. <clears throat> so this hit the you know the, the, the airways pretty fast, and then. Later on, Beltane went out, but I saved that article and I've been using it for years to basically show, isn't this interesting that the pagans I was dealing with for so long actually grown up in Christian churches or synagogue had come out of that to become good little pagans. They come out with their Christian sensibilities. We ought to be nice to poor people. We should never kill anybody. But I think there's a younger generation that, shall we say, knew not Joseph. They weren't raised with Christian sen sensibilities and boundaries. You might see them in Antifa or all these other things out there. They don't have this. You should be nice to people who are hurting um, because that's the way God, they're made in God's image. You should protect them or something like this. They see Christianity as evil and it needs to be attacked physically, which is the old Roman mentality, by the way. Um, good, real serious pagans have always hated the church. They don't want to coexist, like the bumper sticker says. Serious pagans hate the church because the church is the antithesis to everything they believe. Mm -hmm. And um, we're not just part of nature. In fact, we're made in the image of God. We're distinct from nature in an important way. Well, that's evil. And you can read that in Al Gore's books or other, all sorts of other sources, but it's a huge part of the environmental thinking that there's too many human beings we need to get rid of, a, oh, 90% of them for the planet to thrive. And all this kind of stuff you see all over the radical environmentalists. Well, a lot of Wiccans are radical environmentalists and they share those sensibilities. So I'm like, I, I remember telling Don, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. But I think this is a harbinger of actual cultural shifts that are not in a good picture, mm -hmm. you know, not heading in a good direction, not a not a good direction at all, because they think it's the right thing to do to kill. And we're going back to the real old school pagans now. Hmm. So they weren't real old school pagans 30 years ago. Jerry Gardner certainly wasn't. But this group today, I think it's changing. Yeah. One thing I think we need to cover is steps you can take in reaching We've had Marsha Montenegro on yeah, the show before. And one of the things I remember she said about when she meets people who are practicing witchcraft things like that, she'll go up and she'll ask them what they're doing, what all it takes to do it. And she'll just look and say, I'm not very impressed. <laughs> and, what do you think about tactic? No, I think it's absolutely right. That's exactly what I did to Steve up in Portland. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't have the power to change a pimple on your nose. I talked to another witch in my church 20 years ago, <clears throat> right after the Pope visited here in Denver. So this is like 1996. And um, one of the famous Baptist preachers in the conservative Baptist movement was preaching in our church on a Sunday night. And so I was there, and <clears throat> I later ended up talking to this young man who was the grandson of this famous Baptist preacher. And so I'm conversing with him, and I'm already getting you know some sense that this guy's not in the, in the Christian faith at all. And after a while, he admits he's a Wiccan. Wow. Does your grandfather know? No, no, please don't tell him. Please don't tell him. He'll be so upset. I said, okay, well, so tell me about this. Why are you in this? What, what was the attractive part? And again, it was all about power again. Shades of the snake offering Adam and Eve, you'll be gods, right? Uh -huh. 
Right. So he said, well, what kind of power do you have? Well, a lot of us have been sitting doing spells to kill the Pope. I said, you don't need power to do that. You just need to get a gun and go up and shoot him. And people have already tried. Um, you know, you can kill anybody. That doesn't have any spiritual benefit or power to it at all. But that's what the appeal was, Nick, is he thought that they had power. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you follow them, and just in Washington, D.C., this very famous psychic lady that's really highly connected in Democratic circles has claimed she's killed three people through her, you know, her rituals and spells. And there's been this whole big reaction to this in the last three months. And I'm like, fascinating, because most witches, at least the old-fashioned ones that I was talking to, would say, oh, that's bad. We don't do that. That's what Satanists do. But nobody in the witchcraft movement is calling her out and saying, stop that. We don't do that sort of thing. That's what Satanists do. I think the movement is shifting. So, again, I agree with Marshall 100%. The appeal is power. But when the snake told Adam and Eve you'll be his gods, that was a lie then. And it's just as much a lie today. When you talk about when to cure the Pope and such, I don't know if it was Wiccans or Satanist or what, but I think when we had George W. Bush in power, there was supposed to be this night that all these Satanists and or Wiccans or whatever were going to work together and do spells and such to cure Bush. And last I checked, I think he's he's still doing pretty well right now. Yeah. And they're doing the same thing to, to Trump now. I mean, I don't care about anybody's politics at this point. I'm a missionary. I have to I have my own politics, of course. But to me, this is this is the again, it was appealing to Adam and Eve. You'll be as God. Well, what a God created the universe and created everything in front of you. That's pretty imposing, pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. So when somebody tells you you'll do that too, that's a that's a, that's a lie from the snake. Mm-hmm. And it's an old lie, and it sells well. And most religions carry that lie as part of their formal teaching. And like I said, witchcraft is driven by pragmatics. So if you're a kid that's been, I'll tell you this, in my home, again, I grew up in a home. My mom was an alcoholic. My dad was a drunk. My stepdad was a drunk. He beat me up. If you told me when I'm 16 that I could get power and hurt my stepdad, you'd have had my attention. Mm -hmm. You'd have had my attention in a big time way. Mm-hmm. Also, one of the other benefits, oh, I was going to compare this with the Theravada Buddhists. Theravada Buddhism is very similar to witchcraft in its basic worldview. Mm-hmm. One of the differences, the Theravada Buddhists is not supposed to have sex. You have to be celibate, even though that's not always the case, but at least that's the teaching. Whereas with witches, you can have sex with anything and everything. It's okay. So I'm like, I actually wrote this. I said, so what do you think is going to sell well here in America? Well, how many Theravada Buddhist you know, monks have you ever heard of? That would be next to zero, right? Right. That doesn't sell well in hedonistic America. What sells well is, you know, sex with anything and everything. And that's what we see in our culture today. And I think that's one of the appeals to witchcraft is it doesn't have those Christian boundaries. Yeah. So if you're rebellion against the God of the universe, hey, you can be spiritual and sleep with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend, with animals, with whatever. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, let's face it, and I can understand it. Sex is one of the great gods of our worldview today in America. Absolutely. And it sells everything from toothpaste to trucks to stocks and bonds. So it certainly sells in a religious angle as well. Yeah, I can certainly say as a guy growing up, there were a number of times I made an extra purchase of storage just because the sales girl was very cute and she was looking at me. <laughs> well, welcome to the male side of the human race, right? Yeah. Now, if uh, 
my listeners out there, and they encounter someone who does say they're a Wiccan, what do they do? Well, I, I, like I said, the first thing I'm always going to do is to try to identify as best as I can what kind of Wiccan, because there are differences between Gardner and, and Sanders and a lot of modern witches and stuff like that to this day. So I'm going to first say, well, so tell me what you're into. Tell me why you did this. I'm going to ask them, rather than assume I know what they're saying, I'm going to ask them about what they believe. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask them for their worldview, as it were. And usually they're all excited. Oh, gosh, I got in this. It's so wonderful. I mean, they'll give you their gospel, as it were, about how I was in that, you know, some evil, stupid Christian church. But now I'm free and, and I can share love with everybody. And I love the environment and love this. And it's all about love. And it's all about serving the environment. And that's the kind of stuff you'll hear. So um, I used to look for the nine million witch line because that was so much a part of it. Mm-hmm. They, they backed away, most of them. From that claim, so I can't quite use that as my springboard. Well, so sometimes I'll bring up, I'll bring up Salem, for example. So let me ask you something. So, you know anything at all about Salem, about the witch trials? Oh, yes, that was horrible. There's my springboard. Um, Really? So it was bad for people to kill witches? Yes, it was horrible and evil, and off we go. And yes, people were killed there. Whether they're witches, of course, is is, um, a very problematic historical point for them. But the very fact that it's wrong to kill that witch that you're talking to, she's reflecting that belief. She knows it's wrong. She's grabbed onto that as a, as a real truth. It was wrong to kill those witches. To which I'm going to say, I agree with you. Just like it's wrong for us to murder anybody, it was wrong to kill those witches. But how do you say that? Because does, does nature teach you that? And I'm going to try to make her think through that. That's, I'm always, that's, that's my point with them forever. And they don't have good answers because... Um, you know, it's kind of like the Hindu problem. If the world's an illusion and, or God's, you know, then evil's an illusion. Or if the universe is God, then God is both good and evil. I mean, there's no real good answer for these things from within that worldview. And the Wiccan worldview doesn't have sense, can't make sense out. Let me give you one other illustration. I know we're closing out of time here. but So about 10 years after I'd heard, and there's a fellow that used to work for CRI named um, Craig Hawkins. has written some good books on witchcraft. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Craig in a number of years, but he was writing his second book on witchcraft, and so I sent him something, and now I can't find it on my own computer. It frustrates me, and I haven't been able to get it back from him, but I found a master's thesis written by a witch from the pagan perspective about sexual abuse inside the covens. And the majority of it was written about how these men have taken control of these covens and they're abusing women. And now part of me is just tempted to chuckle. Well, you know, when you say there's no rules, guess what? The stronger are going to take advantage. But the other part is just so sad. But it just it, it just strikes me. Well, if you're going to tell people that morality is up to the individual, then why would you be surprised when people take advantage of that? Again, naive about human nature. And, you know, to, to take some of Chesterton's ideas that, you know, for example, that Original sin is the one doctrine of, the, of Christianity that's 100% empirically true. You know, we can just yeah. see it everywhere. And guess what? We see it in the covens as well. So they can tell us how they're free, you know, but you know what? The price tag of that freedom is that some people, well, they're going to do what they do. Mm-hmm. They're going to take advantage of that freedom. In fact, I would say the naivety actually sets up the case where you're going to get a lot more of it. So it was a master's thesis written on that whole subject. And I sent that to Craig, you know, to use for his, his stuff and his uh, book that he was writing. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. 
You know, there's a long history of men abusing women, and there are cases of women abusing men and women abusing children, women abusing other women. Just, I mean, human beings are not good people. Mm-hmm. And we're either going to be honest with that, and that points us to our need for a savior, or we're going to be living in fairy tale lands where, you know, nothing bad happens, but we don't live in that world. Yeah. As I'm hearing you talk about how to talk with him, early on, Michelle, probably in our first month, we managed to get Greg Coker on, which is pretty nice. And he talked about his book, Tactics. And I'm actually thinking that kind of book could also be pretty helpful in learning how to deal with a Wiccan, because it sounds like that's the same kind of thing you use here. Yeah, which book are you referring to again? I'm sorry. Greg Coker's book, Tactics. Oh, Tactics, yeah. Yeah. No, in fact, um, of course, he's pointing him back to, he, he always points back specifically to the Ten Commandments. I come at that sideways, but I'm going the same direction. You have to get him to face up to the fact that there's evil and that they have been part of that. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what Ray's really doing. He's, you know, the fact that they violated the commandments. Not Ray Comfort, Greg Coker. Oh, Greg Coker. Gosh, excuse me. I like Greg's stuff, too. Yeah. I got him confused there for a minute. Somebody was asking me about Ray Comfort yesterday. Sorry about that. I've listened to Greg many times, and one of our staff members, uh, actually, in fact, I've spoken with, uh, he just left his organization. Another weird K name, um, Kukul. No, Greg Kunkel. Yeah, I spoke for a couple of his meetings um, that he's had on Baha'i and other stuff like that. But yeah, no, you're, to use um, Kukul's classic line, you're putting a, a, a rock in their shoe, right? You're putting yeah. a pebble in their shoe that they're not going to be able to sit well with. And that's, I, I want, again, going back to the Holy Spirit and, and the sovereignty of God, I want them wrestling with the conversation they have with me years from now. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it takes two years or 10 years or 20 years. I, that's not my job. My job is to share with them and make them think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we just have a lot of stories in our ministry, and I've seen it in many other ministries, where something that somebody said to them once just, you know, did not sit well. And they're wrestling with it for years to come. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and God is using that to bring them out. I, I tell our new people, our volunteers that come along with us, the places we go, I said, if you're expecting somebody to drop to their knees, whether they be Mormon, Buddhist, Muslim, or whatever, and accept Christ and, you know, want to be a follower of Christ right in front of you, you're probably going to get discouraged really fast, mm-hmm. you know, because that just basically never happens. But we have so many stories of Satanists and Mormons, New Angels and other people that uh, one Hindu couple came to Christ nine years after I'd gone down to see them. And their mother writes me this letter thanking me. Nine years later, I'm like, wow, maybe we ought to trust the sovereignty of God. <laughs> so we do. And um, that's what we're trying to make them think. We're trying to make them, you know, reason. And we use Acts 17 when Paul speaks to the, you know, to the Athenians. He upsets their worldview. He dramatically challenges it. The God who made the universe does not dwell in hands, you know, houses made of stone and wood, nor is he served by human hands. All you have to do is look at the temples that were present in his day, or go to Buddhist and Hindu temples today. You see him bathing the gods, feeding the gods. Go to any hard Christian center here in the United States, you see the same thing. The belief that the gods need you to serve them. Paul is challenging that very widely held Greek view that God lives in our little house and we feed him and we bathe him. And Paul just gets right in their face. No, he made the universe. He doesn't need anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, so but what he's trying to make them think, guys, does the God who made the universe need you to feed him? Really? 
that's what we're trying to do is to make them think. So whether it's the witchcraft view, the Muslim worldview, the Buddhist view, the Mormon view, we want them to think about things that are incongruent, that just make no sense, according to their own beliefs, mm -hmm. but do make sense, their conscience at this point, if you take God's word seriously. Yeah. And so we're going to give them that comparison contrast on that kind of level. Yeah. You know, as, as you said, I was looking back through the archives. I was sure we had to interview Brett Conqueror on here once before. We haven't so far, but for anyone interested, he is in line to be on at the end of November. I'm talking about his new Maven apologetics program. So if you want to hear Brett Conqueror sometime, that should be next month. And oh, so, nice. So I was just anticipating a commercial for you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're, you're working very good at my advertising here. <laughs> And so it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, just find where they are and then doing one of my favorite tactics. And I say this as someone who's grown up in the gaming industry, and I'm still very much into the gaming atmosphere and such. Find your opponent's weak point and push it to no end. Hit that thing until they finally crack and realize it. Absolutely. Well, again, you know... Um I'm studying my PhD, uh, I'm on my dissertation now, and this is in worldview and apologetics. And one of the things about the Christian worldview, despite the, you know, the new atheists or a zillion other more serious thinkers than those guys, the Christian's worldview is both consistent internally and externally. It's consistent with the world in, as you see it, and it's consistent within itself. And virtually every other worldview I can think of is not. Yeah. And so, you know, when Paul left Jerusalem, and the atmosphere of the young, now Jewish slash Messianic congregation and went to Athens or he went to Ephesus or these places. He's not running in for the most part. I mean, he, he does talk to the Jews when he goes on the Sabbath to the synagogue. But for the most part, when he goes out in the marketplace, he's talking to real pagans. Mm -hmm. I mean, real pagans. Not this, you know, you know Christianized pagans of, of our day. He's talking to real ones. And these people are responding and they're following the gospel. And so, like I said, we look at Acts 17 and see what Paul did there, and we see that as a model. Okay, we are going to lovingly speak, the, to seal this quote from Ephesians 4.15, we are going to speak the truth in love. And I know that phrase is, is written for how Christians are supposed to act to each other inside the church, but I also think it's a good way to talk to people outside of the church. It's a good way to talk to a Mormon. It's a good way to talk to a Muslim. So we're going to love them enough to tell them the truth, to challenge their worldview, to challenge them to think about what the Bible says. And we're not going to give up just because they get upset at us or they spit at us or cuss us out or whatever. We're going to love them and we're going to share the truth with them. And we'll let God sort out what happens after that. But that's that's kind of the, the point of view that Haven people take is that we're going to go into their places and we're going to tell them what they don't want to hear. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And if they get mad, that's okay. That means they're wrestling. I much prefer anger to apathy. Yeah. And I'm just obnoxious enough that I usually get mad. Mm -hmm. But I got a conversation, for example, I'm having lunch with a couple of your rancher readers, New Agers, this, this uh, Tuesday, and uh, I'm really excited about that. Listeners be praying, but uh, I've had several talks with these guys. These are nice guys. They're friendly guys. One of them is an attorney. I mean, this guy's a smart guy. They believe in a bizarre worldview that doesn't make any sense at all. And I've been talking about, from an attorney's perspective, why his own view doesn't make any sense. And he's had to wrestle with that. And they still want to meet with me. So that's all good. So again, we're going to lovingly uh, speak to them. I, I'd love for them to become friends. I think I'm halfway there with the, with the lawyer already. And uh, so we'll have lunch and we'll talk and we'll talk and we'll talk and we'll see what the Lord has in mind. Mm -hmm. Well, 
It's right now it's four fifty four. I don't think we got enough time to get into another question, another discussion, unfortunately. So I guess we should just start wrapping things up. And Bill, do you have a website, an email, a blog, or where you can get in touch if they want to find out more? Yes, absolutely. The website again is Haven Ministry, singular, havenministry.com. Um, my all purpose uh, email for a zillion things is Hans, H O N Z, as in zebra, Hans1 at MSN.com. So it's really simple. And um, so they can reach me through either of those venues. And if you go to the, the website, you know, you can get our newsletter, which is free. Uh, although we say it's got a very high price, we do request that you pray for us. Mm. Um, and people can find out information about the ministry, where we're going, how to pray for us, and all that kind of fun stuff. So, yeah, that's how they can get a hold of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any uh, final words you'd like to leave for Deeper Waters audience today? Well, uh, if I could say anything, Nick, I've always said about world religions, and I've taught world religions for about 25 years now at different colleges. I can teach you about the religion itself. I can't give you a heart for people. Mm-hmm. And so if you're hearing this and you only have an academic context, you're just going to say, oh, those are weird people. I'm staying away. Um, No, that's not the right attitude. We should have a heart for lost people. I always say we should have the heart that drove Jesus to the cross, literally. The love for people that were made in God's image. And these witches and these Buddhists and these psychics and all these other people are human beings made in God's image. And they need the, the gospel. That means we need to love them. And uh, that would be my word to people is, is, you know, seek out your father's heart about how to treat these people and go share the gospel with them. Well, Bill, I'd like to thank you for coming on. Hopefully we'll see you back here again sometime. Thanks, Nick. I enjoyed the heck out of it, and I hope I can come on again. Mm-hmm. Hope this was helpful. I can mind everyone. Next week, we're going to be talking, though, about ideas that are weird and crazy, and that is conspiracy theories. Always something amusing to talk about. J.P. Holding is going to be my guest. So I hope you'll tune in next week. For now, I'm Nick Peters, and I'm signing off.